Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Don't you love it? It's Christmas. I don't know how you feel about it, but I always get excited this time of year. Think about it. More time with family. More time with family. A little time off, hopefully. Maybe you're going to hang out with your friends during the next week or so. You're going to eat. We're going to eat, right? I'm going to eat. I hope you eat. Maybe even on Christmas Day, you're going to say that diet that I've been... No, not on Christmas Day. That's out the window. What a fun thing that is. I love Christmas. I really do. I've been telling you this. But the honest truth is Christmas isn't always the greatest for them because Christmas brings up memories. Maybe... There were past Christmases where you were together as a family and it was, it was truly a beautiful time, but now you're estranged. You and your family no longer get along. They don't talk to you. You don't talk to them. Maybe this is the first Christmas where you're dealing with a serious illness. I mean, a serious illness. Maybe it's such a serious illness that you're not even sure if you'll be around when the next Christmas, Christmas 2019, rolls around. Maybe it's finances. Man, do we spend in the run-up to Christmas. And as we've been spending every time we pulled out the credit card, we thought to ourselves, it's great that I'm buying these gifts It's great that I'm buying these lights. It's great that I'm paying over a hundred bucks for this Christmas tree that's going to last me about two weeks. Or more than that, if it's one of those that you can put in in storage. How am I going to pay all this off? Where's the the money going to come from? And so Christmas, instead of being a time of joy and peace, becomes a time of gloom and distress. And that's where I want to start today, because let's face it, when we feel gloomy and distressed, thoughts of where am I going to go for help start to spin around in our heads. Thoughts of... Am I going to need to self-medicate this Christmas? Am am I going to need to do something to figure out this money situation? Something that might be a little shady, but at least it'll help me figure out the money situation. Where am I going to find the doctor? The care that I need to have so that this illness, this injury will get dealt with and I will be around next Christmas. How am I going to fix the problem that I have with my family? Where do I go for help? And that's what we're going to be talking about because 
in the Old Testament is an amazing story of some people that were right back into a, a time and a situation. They were in a situation, a situation that was making them gloomy and distressed. And into the midst of this situation, 730 years before Christ would be born, God sent a prophet named Isaiah to promise them that a savior would be born to them. In the midst of all their gloom and distress, the people of God were told, look for a savior. Look for salvation to come, not from self-medication, but from outside. You don't have to bear the brunt of all this distress and gloom because as God tells the people through Isaiah, I will bear the weight of it and I will help you. You want to know where to get your help? Don't look to other people for it. Look to me. And so I want to start with this simple question. When I am distressed and gloomy, and let's face it, Christmas can be that time as much as any and maybe more so. But when I am distressed and gloomy, where do I go for help? You see, when all this begins to happen to us, whether it's family or we're, there's estrangement and alienation from people that we love or, or we're struggling with addictions or it's health or it's finances, I think the word that, that begins to spin around in our heads is control. Who, who's really ruling in this situation? Who's managing all the peace, pieces of my life, of the world? Who's managing all this? Who's leading this? Who's ruling? And in the midst of distress and gloom, you know what we begin to think? We begin to think, my life is unmanageable right now. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt I am completely, my life is just completely out of control right now. I can't manage it. I cannot handle this. And you begin to look around and you think, well, maybe my spouse can help. Maybe my children can help. Maybe my parents can help. Maybe a friend can help. Because I can't manage by myself. I can't. And you, and you start to think about all the things in the, in the past year or two that have caused your life to feel like it's spinning out of control. Maybe it's not just Christmas spending. Maybe it's a constant overuse of that credit card. Constant overuse of it. And your debt has gone from 10,000 to 15 to 20 to 25 to 30 to 35 and beyond. Maybe in the last couple years, things got so bad in your marriage, it was the only thing you felt you could do to manage life was divorce. Maybe your teen and early 20 children have gotten so off track in their life, you've thrown up your hands, 
possibly even kicked them out of the house and said, I cannot deal with you anymore. You're not listening. And maybe all that's gone down and you're frustrated, you're angry, you're hurt. And it it can be all sorts of events at home, at work, right here at church that make us feel like life is not manageable. Well, let me tell you about these people that Isaiah the prophet is talking to in 730 B.C., Want to talk about family difficulties? (laughs) Isaiah is not even the prophet for the whole nation of Israel. You know why? This is 730, 200 years earlier in 930, they had, over an issue of taxation, had a humongous civil war after, after Solomon died. And people came to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and said, let's tone down the taxes a little bit. And Rehoboam said, we're not doing that. In fact, if anything, I'm going to increase. You think my dad Solomon was bad? You haven't even tasted how bad it can be. And so civil war broke out. What happened was Judah split off, one of the 12 tribes, and eventually not right away, but eventually the tribe of Benjamin, and because the rest of the tribes, now named Israel, set up their own forms of worship, the Levites eventually became part of this little three-nation coalition that became known as Judah. And from that point on, the civil war raged. Imagine, if you will, that in our own civil war, our nation had remained divided. That was the 1860s, right? So roughly, let's just say in round numbers, 150 years ago, and we had never reunited. Imagine what it might look like if to this day, (laughs) there were northern states and southern states. And there was still constant bickering within this nation that had once been divided. That was the situation here between Judah, the little three-tribe nation, and the nine other tribes called Israel. Now, this goes back for centuries. Do you remember that these tribes were all originally, they originally came from the sons of Jacob? Do you remember what the sons of Jacob did to their brother, Joseph? Threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery? And I'm telling you, through the period of the judges, in the time of the first king Saul, down through all of this, even before they were divided, there was constant bickering in this family, constant division. And now it goes beyond that. This is now a 48 hour story. Because the nine tribes of Israel have now engaged in a conspiracy to eliminate the three tribes of Judah. And and what they've done is they've gone to another king and another nation named Aram. And their king has said, will you help us eliminate Judah? Now, if you've ever watched a show like 48 Hours or Dateline, 
It's just like this. It is a conspiracy to murder. However, Judah catches wind of what's happening. And so do you know how they respond to this hatred and this enmity and this desire for their former brothers and sisters to murder them? They say, well, if you've got an ally in Aram, modern-day Syria, by the way, if you've got an ally, we'll get a bigger ally. And so in their distress and in their gloom that their brothers and sisters were literally trying to kill them as a nation, they said, we'll find someone to kill you before you can kill us. Now, I don't know how bad your family is. I don't know what your Christmas Eve or Christmas Day celebration is going to look like, but I I hope it's not going to look anything like this, where you're all bringing guns and you're ready to kill each other off on Christmas Day. Like, kill each other off. That's how it is. That's the situation that they find themselves. So the people of Judah are actually not only going to Assyria to look for help. If you look in Isaiah chapter 8, they're also consulting not God for help. They're supposed to be the people of God. Talk about humbling, even humiliating circumstances for people who are supposed to trust their Lord. And instead of trusting the Lord, as even the Lord himself had sent them a prophet, Isaiah himself, to say, don't worry about Assyria. Just trust me, I've I've got you. I'll handle this situation. I sit on the throne of heaven and earth. I rule. I'm in control. Your life is not unmanageable, Judah, because I'm managing it. And how do the people of Judah, the people of God, respond? Isaiah says, you've responded to this generous offer from God by turning your back on it and consulting mediums and spiritists instead. You're going to ask someone to look into their crystal ball, to read the tea leaves, to cast bones on the ground and and tell you what's going to happen when God has sent Isaiah to tell you Stop it. You don't even need Assyria to be your ally. Just believe in me. I've got you. All right, let's take a look at some verses. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me. This is Isaiah talking, and now he's saying, God has put his hand on me, and I know it's a strong hand. Isaiah's faithful. Though Judah is not, Isaiah the prophet is. God's got his hand on me. And he's telling me, he's warning me not to follow the way of this people. Don't look, don't be looking to Assyria for help. Don't be consulting mediums and spiritists. You've got me. My strong hand is on you, Isaiah. Don't call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Isn't that interesting that he says this? Because there are real conspiracies going on here. And yet God says, do not fear what they fear 
and do not dread it. How is it that God can tell Isaiah this? Trust me, these are, these are distressing times for Isaiah too. He's going to put, be put through the meat grinder. In fact, there are many who believe that the reference in Hebrews chapter 11 to prophets and people, men of God being sawn in half is a reference to how Isaiah will one day die because he's hated so much because he walks into king's palaces and tells them, trust God. This, this ally Assyria is going to come back and bite you in the butt big time. Don't do that. And so he's, he, they think he's a traitor. So he is also under a great deal of pressure. But, but what does he say? God's got his strong hand on me. Do you believe that? Do you, do you believe like Isaiah at this Christmas time when life maybe for you also feels unmanageable? When you don't exactly know how you're going to heal your bank account, when your family is split and broken, when your health is in tatters, do you believe that God has his strong hand on you because you are his child? Because that is what Isaiah is calling us to do, to feel God's hand on our shoulder, to hear God's voice saying to this, you know why my hand is right here on your shoulder? I've got this. Don't be distressed by what other people are distressed about. Don't call conspiracy everything others call conspiracy. Your life is not unmanageable because I, the King of Kings, am managing your life. It may feel unmanageable at times. It may look unmanageable at times. But I've got you. And Isaiah's job now is to tell the whole nation of Judah God's strong hand is on them. So he says in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. He, he met, mentions these two tribes by name out of the nine of Israel, out of the 12 of Judah and Israel. Do you know why? Zebulun and Naphtali we're one day going to be called Galilee. But meanwhile, Zebulun and Naphtali were the tribes the furthest north. When the Arameans, the Syrians of that day, wanted to attack, who was the first to be under attack? Who was the first to be under siege? When the mighty kingdoms and powers of Assyria and Babylon and Persia would enter, who were the first two tribes to bear the brunt of the attack? These two. And who were the last to be rescued? Zebulon and Naphtali. Who were the last to be taken out of their slavery if they were enslaved? Zebulon and Naphtali. Maybe you felt that way. Why am I always first in line when disaster strikes and last in line when rescue comes? 
Moms ever feel that way at home? Why am I always the last one standing around here in the kitchen? And the first to go in there in the morning. Maybe you feel that way at work. Why am I always the guy that gets the, the nasty, dirty jobs first? That has to do the things that no one else wants to do because, yeah, it's that kind of job. And the last to be told, no, you don't, you don't have to do this. We've got somebody else. Why am I always first to suffer and last to be helped? That's how Zebulon and Naphtali felt. And he's saying to them, you know what? You who have always been first to be attacked and last to be helped and rescued, you're going to be a beautiful part of this country. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. You see when our lives feel unmanageable? Darkness descends. Gloom and distress happens. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I hope you hear those words. If you're living in the darkness right now of your gloom and distress, if you're feeling that in some area life is quite unmanageable, maybe it's just your schedule that you can't get under control. Isaiah says, a light has dawned. Write this down. We may go through humbling times in life, but humiliation does not rule. God promises to lift us up again. When we're in the darkness, God promises to send light. When we're in trouble, God promises to send help and rescue. You know what's beautiful about knowing God's love and God's promises? When we're going through humbling times, and maybe you're going through a, hum, a humbling time right now, with Christ's assured help, humbling time becomes learning time, becomes improving time, becomes shifting time. These people had to learn, and instead of running to Assyria, though, to run to God. And so... Isaiah goes on in Isaiah 9, verses 3 to 5, and says, look, I know, I get it. When you're feeling gloom and distress, you're under pressure. And when you're under pressure, anyone who's under pressure, if you're drowning, you're going to reach for the first thing you can reach in the hopes that it will help you. That's what was happening with these people. And it may be happening with you. Isaiah says to them, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. He's talking about God. God is the you here. You, have, you God, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people 
Rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across the shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Whatever's making them feel pressure, whatever's making you feel pressure, it says God has shattered the yoke that burdens you. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Whatever, whether it's health or finances, whether it's a broken family or a schedule that's out of control, whatever it might be, (coughs) every warrior's boot, everything that is against you, Every garment rolled in blood, everything that has struck you and made you bleed, externally or internally, it will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. In other words, that's all going away. He uses two beautiful metaphors here. Did you catch it? He says, when the Savior comes, After so many centuries of hearing not yet, you're going to be like the farmer at harvest time. I don't know if you've ever lived in a rural area or amongst farmers. I've spent a pretty significant time of my ministry living amongst farmers in Africa. And I can tell you at the beginning of every season, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear because they know they're not in control. Weather could change everything. Pests and insects could change everything. Some of these farmers that I knew very well, friends of mine, had been farming for decades, and they would look at me and say, Pastor, we're farmers. We're not in control of this situation. Only the Lord knows how this year's harvest will turn out. Isaiah says, You're going to be like that farmer at the end of the growing season and you're looking out at your field and seeing an amazing and full harvest. You're going to be, in the second metaphor, like those warriors who have just won in battle and you're marching into camp and you're seeing all all this amazing armament and plunder and wealth and it's yours. Victory is yours. And the plunders of that victory are yours because of Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's going to be like that. And he points them back to grace. Now, you might not recognize that he's pointing them back to God's grace. He's really saying all this is going to happen not through your effort or your work, it's going to happen through mine. Do you remember Midian's defeat? What's he referring to there? He's referring to a guy who many, many years earlier had been fighting against the Midianites, a judge named Gideon. And Gideon had been told by God, look, you've got 32,000 soldiers here to fight the Midianites and, and all their allies. And normally, I would pat you on the back and say, job well done. You recruited a lot of soldiers, a lot of volunteers to help you battle these Midianites. But not this time. That's not how I'm going to handle it this time. Because Gideon, you and the people of God need to know this is not about you. 
This is not going to happen through your efforts. This is going to happen by grace through faith. By grace through faith. And here's how I'm going to show you that all the blessings that come to the people of God come by grace through faith. Those 32,000, I won't get into the whole story of how this happened, but eventually what happens is Gideon says to 31,700 of his 32,000 troops, go home, we don't need you to fight all these nations who have gathered around the Midianites. We don't need you. We have God's help. And because we have God's help, I'm going to take 300. 300. Not 32,000. 300. And because God is gracious and because we can trust him, we don't need anyone else. Too bad King Ahaz in Isaiah's day didn't think that because the very thought that he needed some sort of human support is what sent him off to Assyria to ask them to be his allies. Gideon said, go home. God's got this. Can you, can you write those words down? God's got this. If there's a mantra I want to send you home with today... And you've heard me say it before, but I would love to drill those three words into your heart. God's got this. Until you can't forget it, until every time you feel gloomy and distressed, until every time you feel under pressure, those become nothing more than triggers to say, if God had all the nations of Midian and could defeat them, not with 32,000, but with 300, then whatever this situation is, my family, my finances, my health, my schedule, whatever this situation is, God's got this. Please take that home. If you take nothing more, out of this message. It is at Christmas time, God sent you a savior from sin and guilt and shame, a savior who is going to one day lead you into heaven through his perfect life and his innocent sufferings and death and who is also ruling right here, right now in your life. He's got this. Turn the page. Isaiah says, and this, this, this is his way of saying God's got this. I, Isaiah, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. How do you say that? You say that when you know that God does not operate the way that we do. God does not operate by collecting all these massive resources, showing them to you and saying, see, I've got this. So that you can see it all laid out ahead of time. Oh yeah, God's got this. Look, he gave me 32,000 troops. Of course he's got this. God operates the other way. He strips everything out. Because he wants us to operate 
not by sight, but by faith. Do you trust him? Gideon, do you trust me? Not because you have 32,000, but when I give you 300. Do you trust God, whatever's going on in your life right now? Isaiah, this poor guy, his life constantly under threat. Isaiah, do you feel my strong hand on your shoulder? Do you trust me? Maybe, by the way, even when Isaiah sees the saw being brought out. Maybe even when Isaiah feels the first bite of the saw into his flesh, knowing he's being executed in a horrible, torturous, miserable way, does even then Isaiah say, I wait for the Lord. I put my trust in him. God's got this. God's got me. That is where God is asking you to get. And he's once again, by grace through faith, going to provide you the help to get there. He's not saying to you, you have to get there on your own strength or power because faith doesn't come from our own strength or power. That kind of faith is also by grace. It is God's gift to us. And the best way to get it is to be in the word and in the sacraments asking God, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I want to be able to say in any and every situation, I will wait for you, Lord. Even if you're hiding your face from me, I will put my trust in you. You've got this. Write this down. We may be under pressure from sin and evil. You see, a lot of what was going on in Judah was their own fault. And they could try to point fingers to others, but it, it was their own sin that God was often dealing with. We may be under pressure from sin and evil. It might be ours. It might be the sin and evil of others. But, but sin and evil do not rule. By grace, through faith, God rules and God wins. So this Christmas, do you expect joy and peace? You won't necessarily find it in the events and circumstances of your life. So are you ready to look away from all that? Maybe your joy and peace is not going to come to you because you have great relationships with all the people that you hope to have relationships with, strong relationships. Maybe... Maybe those circumstances aren't ever going to be. Maybe the bite of the saw is already being felt by you as you struggle with some humongous health issue. You're not going to find your peace by looking at that. Maybe the last time you checked your bank account, you vowed you wouldn't check it again for a good long time because there's no peace in looking at those numbers. No peace at all. How can you expect joy and peace when life is like that, when life is 
unmanageable and out of control? Well, it comes from asking yourself the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? We're celebrating his birth. Who do we say we're celebrating the birth of tomorrow and the next day? Who is he? Isaiah wanted to make it very, very clear that when this Messiah that had been long promised and was now continuing to be promised, the people would understand he is the king the ruler of heaven and earth, and he has a government that will never end. And it is a benevolent government. Take a look at what Isaiah tells the people of Judah. For to us a child is born. For to us a son is given. You've heard this probably many times in Christmas Eve services. Did you know the circumstances in which it was originally said? to a people under great pressure and distress, to a people in the midst of gloom because they were under direct attack from their own brothers and sisters who had hired and conspired someone to attack them? Did you know those were the original circumstances? You do now. So whatever you're going through this Christmas Hear this in a new way. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He rules. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. What a king this is. He's a wonderful counselor. Mighty God, he's in control of everything. Everlasting Father, he treats you and loves you like the most loving father you can imagine. That's our Savior. He's the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government, of his control, of his management of our lives, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it. Establishing and upholding you because you are part of his kingdom with justice and righteousness from that time on for, and forever, the zeal, the passion of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Listen to Isaiah there. Don't ever doubt that God is passionately, zealously in love with you. Passionately and zealously ruling from his throne for your benefit. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Open up your eyes, people. This is the message of Isaiah to the people of Judah. Open up your eyes, people, and see God in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You have hope. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and Underline these words, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the power that could take 300 men and defeat hundreds of thousands. That 
power is like the power of someone who could protect Isaiah for decades of being a prophet who was constantly under pressure. That power is the one who could rescue the people of Judah from their own brothers and sisters. That power is the same immeasurable and incomparable power that is with you today, the power of that little baby lying in a manger. Write this down. We expect joy and peace because we expect that our powerful Savior Jesus will rule all things for our good. There it is. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Can I ask you to go home thinking God's got this and expecting Jesus' rule to calm your heart and your mind and bring you joy and peace this Christmas. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending us that little babe in a manger so humble, so lowly, and the circumstances and events surrounding his birth, humble and lowly, and yet he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His government has no end. His rule and his control is at work in our lives. Our lives, Lord, we know are not unmanageable in the least. With his help, we can manage. Lord, help us to live by faith, not by sight. There are times when we look at the events and circumstances of our life and we can't imagine finding joy and peace. But in Jesus, there is always hope because by grace, through faith, He promises to rescue us from our sins, our guilt, our shame, from death. And he promises to rescue us in the day-to-day life, in his own way and in his own time. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen.